Welcome to Lectionary Call-In for Tuesday, January 24th of 2023, where two laypersons, a pastor, and an academician gather for about 45 minutes each week to discuss the Gospel Lectionary for an upcoming Sunday. And in this case, we're dealing with a Sunday that's two weeks out. The Sunday of our focus is February 5th of 2023. And on Tuesdays, we call in from wherever we may be. Today, we're calling in at 7 a.m. Eastern Time. It's for our friend Charles Willard in Minnesota at 6 a.m. Central. Our team's working to be faithful to year A in the Gospel of Matthew and during the coming weeks of Epiphany using the letters identified in the lectionary to create understanding in the Gospel text. We hope the discussion will provide areas of focus and reflection. Here's how it works. We develop perspectives independently after the leadoff person shares some formative questions. And then in this virtual discussion room, we share, encourage, and challenge each other. And here are the folks joining us in today's discussion. Sarah Mickelson from Tampa. Charles Willard, Minnesota. Bill Hall, St. Petersburg, Florida. And I'm Don Upton. I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina. And our lead for today is Bill Hull, who's going to help us walk through both the gospel lectionary and the first Corinthians lectionary. And we're going to look at the gospel through the Corinthians lens. This has been our work through Epiphany. Bill Hull, how you doing, my friend? I'm good. Thank you. Uh, this is a challenging passage, and these are challenging passages. Uh, and I like this different turn in the road where we always want to read scripture in the light of scripture, but the discipline for these weeks is a, a particular focus on the epistle and the gospel lesson. Um, the epistle lesson is first Corinthians two, one to 16 from the new revised standard version. When I came to you, brothers and sisters, I did not come proclaiming the mystery of God to you in lofty words or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I came to you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. My speech and my proclamation were not with plausible words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on the power of God. Yet, yet among the mature, we do speak wisdom, though it is not a wisdom of this age, or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to perish. But we speak God's wisdom, secret and hidden, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understand this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the human heart conceived, what God has prepared for those who love him, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. 
For what human being knows what is truly human except the human spirit that is within? So also no one comprehends what is truly God's except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit that is from God, so that we may understand the gifts bestowed on us by God. And we speak of these things in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual things to those who are spiritual. Those who are unspiritual do not receive the gifts of God's Spirit, for they are foolishness to them, and they are unable to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Those who are spiritual discern all things, and they are themselves subject to no one else's scrutiny. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. The word of the Lord, thanks be to God. And now my colleague Sarah will read the gospel lesson for us. Sarah? We're in Matthew chapter 5, which everybody knows is the Sermon on the Mount. Good stuff. Um, We're looking at verses 13 through 20. Starting in verse 13, I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one after lighting a lamp puts a bushel basket or puts it under a bushel basket, but on a lampstand, and it can offer light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish, but to fulfill. Truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter, will pass from the law until it's been accomplished. And therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. That's the ending of our reading. Thanks be to God. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. Well done. Um, Last week, we reflected on 1 Corinthians 1.19, where Paul, referencing Isaiah 29.14, declares that God, quote, will destroy the wisdom of the wise, end quote. In this week's passage, Paul says that he does not speak in lofty words of wisdom, not with plausible words of wisdom. But Paul also asserts Yet among the mature, we do speak wisdom, not a wisdom of this age, but we speak God's wisdom. And I realize this question is somewhat echoing last week, but I echo because I think it's very important. 
uh, one of the scholars that I read, um, William Loder, says that the theme of these passages is that of competing wisdoms, competing wisdoms. So, um, Don, I'm going to come to you with this first question. What are the contrasts that you sense between the wisdom of this age and the wisdom of God, Don? Well, your, your statement of competing wisdoms helped me. I'll, I'll take it a step further. Not just competing, but a vast patient, maybe scriptural. I cannot look upon the Creator. I must turn my head. Who has seen the Creator? I mean, that kind of separation. But the word wisdom of the age sounds so big, but this minimizes the wisdom of the age. This minimizes the wisdom of the mortal. Uh, and I think emphasizes a separation that I hadn't thought about before. So I think I think it's meant to be in the wisdom of God us to start thinking of it as accessible when it wasn't before, because it talks about the mind of Christ. So it's additive. I think going to the Sermon on the Mount and the great reversals that are taking place, resurrection abounds. Healing abounds. The poor are elevated. Uh, And I think it's the end of scarcity thinking, which is everywhere. And I think last week we talked about, uh, you know, wisdom and and the practicality of wisdom, which I think is connected to scarcity thinking. And the shift to decisive thinking on both the individual and the collective scale I think is what what Paul is trying to set up. And again, this is opening. This is the second chapter. He is still setting the stage for what otherwise would have felt like a scolding, but he is reminding them that that separation isn't what it used to be, that we can tap into these things with a certain kind of maturity. So on an individual and collective scale, there's decisive thinking that can take place. I think it's also a reminder that God's wisdom is not mine. So, you know, when I when we talk about the wisdom of the wise in the other chapter, uh, the wisdom of the wise is human generated, practical wisdom so that we can survive, so that we can protect ourselves, so that we can uh, treasure what is scarce. Uh, this wisdom is not mine; I don't own it. God's wisdom is not mine. Just that separation reflects the separation of the divine from the human, but it also speaks, I think, to the unity Paul is discussing in Corinthians. Peace is with us. Peace is graspable. Peace is understandable, which I think is why the lectionary committee put taste in here. You know, see gospel, salt. You can taste it. You can feel it. You can sense it. It's real. Uh, In terms of the maturity that's required to do it, real challenge when he talks about maturity, but I think maybe the only analogy I can think of is the maturity of a painter with the observation, the application of time, insights, sheer effort, dialogue with others, that there is change, tangible change in what someone's painting. And Paul, I think, recognizes the power and importance of what we do. And in the chapters to come, look out the harm we do to each other, but emphasizes the base presence of the creator and the fact that the mind of Christ is access, accessible, it's not our mind. It's not for us to claim or boast for, but it is present. As he sets the stage to take on 
the harmful behaviors that are going on in this church. Those are my thoughts, Bill. Thank you, Don. Uh, Sarah, what are the contrasts as you see it between the wisdom of this age and the wisdom of God? So my, I always ask more questions. So here is my question: Is the wisdom of this age limited to individual human maturity, imagination, and consciousness? The wisdom of God is not limited by what humanity can comprehend, what our physical world's laws of logic, gravity, and physics can define and identify what is physically measurable by a human. It takes us out of the center of the universe and puts God in the center of the universe. So we look at things through God's understanding instead of our own. I think that's powerful in shifting our perspective to the wisdom of God from the wisdom of this world. Um, The wisdom of God is more, way beyond what my puny brain can articulate, and I can only stand in wonder. Thank you. Uh, Charles, what do you see of the contrast between the wisdom of this age and the wisdom of God? I'm struck... I'm struck by how Paul is able to put it so clearly and enables us to even generations, millennia later, we can hear voices clearly guiding us, inviting us, showing us the way warning us of the alternatives and here we are able to still grasp the greatness of the wisdom that's separated I mean this this shared and this 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 letter collection and and to make something of it. It's just an, a, a, an amazing thing. Thank you. Thank you, Charles. And what you've said is a great lead-in to what I had in mind to say. The language here is very compelling. There's an either-or quality here. Uh, <clears throat> I and many others are fans of Father Richard Rohr, who challenges binary, either-or, black-and-white thinking. But this is binary there's the wisdom of the world and and the wisdom of God. And my reflections are that the wisdom of any age is power-based and is destructive. Pharaoh in Egypt, uh, the slavery, sending his own army into death at the Red Sea. That sounds very contemporary, that in the cause of power, others suffer and die. Herod and the killing of the, the babies after the birth of, of Jesus. Uh, the wisdom of this age is power-based and destructive. Um, and the Gospels remind us that it's not just those political public leaders, that religious leaders also get into power 
and dominance and um, theological uh, silos that that we build. there are those in the name of religion who seek power and do so destructively, including today. So I think you're, I agree with you, Charles, that this spans all the decades and millennia. It, it reads like today's newspaper. In contrast, the wisdom of God is redemptive and restorative. I mentioned on the last podcast that my wife and I are watching The Chosen, and a recent um, episode had to do with the woman at the well in Samaria. And it's very dramatically portrayed how rejected she was by her own people, and yet the joy and restoration she felt when she encountered Christ and he knew her as she, there's a paradox. He could tell her the details of her life, many of which were painful and um, in violation of uh, the Torah. And yet this fallen woman was raised up, uh, redeemed and restored. So there, there, this is binary unless someone wants to challenge me on that. Okay, thank you. And Sarah, heads up, I'm coming to you first with the next one. The lectionary links the first Corinthians passage with Matthew 5, 13 to 20, which you read for us. How might each of these passages inform and enhance the other, particularly focusing on the images of salt and light in the Matthew passage, Sarah. Oh, here it comes. I love this part. Um, under a microscope, the chemical bonds of sodium and chloride, chlorine make a perfect square. It is the oldest seasoning we have. It can be used for medicine. It can preserve things. Salt has been a part of valuing currencies and things like that. Salt has been something that has been traded. Salt is certainly something today that you can buy in almost every color with different mineral properties. Salt can be watered down. It can be diluted. It can be dissolved. Just like our unity, it can be divided. The bonds that hold us together that would be love, compassion, and empathy, can be broken. And we can be fractured in our relationships, in our priorities, and in our alliances. Like salt can be watered down. And all of this can render salt and us into something less impactful and purposeless. Light can be manipulated, hidden, refracted, and obstructed by objects to promote darkness. People can be distracted. Their focuses can be manipulated. Their loyalty can be divided. Salt and light are profound metaphors for human consciousness, spiritual effectiveness. That's why metaphors work so beautifully in Matthew and can be lifted and applied into the Corinthians' perspective as well. Um, That we all struggle 
at being effective, effective spiritually. Um, I think effective in in the human circles where we work. Um, So I think that that's part of our our challenge is to recognize what breaks us apart, puts us together. Thank you. Uh, And Charles, listening to your wisdom, reminding us that this letter was written chronologically before the Gospels were written as we have them, why this podcast, I read the letter first and then the Gospel lesson, but you've already acknowledged, and we would, that all of Scripture is interrelated. How do you see these two passages informing and enhancing each other, particularly with the image of salt and light? Charles? I don't have a good suggestion to make. Okay. Don? Well, I'll build on what Charles Willard said in the first response. And by the way, and I, and Charles, you can challenge me as we go through this podcast, but, you know, I, 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 when I hear Charles's voice, it's always with caution. He, he sends a message of caution, uh, and I take it to heart. He reminds us frequently over the years, we, it's hard to get to what people heard. It's hard to get to the language. We're in translation. He reminds us. We don't know what it was like to walk the earth at that time. But I just want to highlight this time, you know, Charles spoke to the clarity of what Paul was doing, the precision, the clarity. I mean, it just meant a lot to me to hear that, that it's coming through the ages. Uh, and one of the things Charles said was, Paul, I think I'm quoting you, warning us of the alternatives. And I think that goes to the salt and light piece. How do we warn each other of the alternatives? And I think salt and light looking through Matthew helps because he's setting up what would have been a scolding that turns into warning us of the alternatives. I think a few weeks ago when we first started on Corinthians, I think I said, Mom, Paul's yelling at me again. That's not – I was – the whole point is to get away from that, that we're able to dance from Matthew to Corinthians. And like that's kind of crazy in some ways, but that's the chemistry of Scripture. And I think, I think, you know, as we deal with chemistry, and Sarah, you set that up just so nicely with Saul, uh, Paul's recognizing that. And I think when he talks about maturity, it's like we're helping each other mature so that when the time comes, to quote Charles Willard, that we can warn each other of the alternatives. There's an understanding. There's a mutuality. And this church is falling apart. The ability to do that, the tastelessness, the loss of the saltiness, he's pointing out right on the front end. He doesn't use salt, but we have this wonderful reference to the Sermon on the Mount. So we can, I think, Bill, you talked about informing and enhancing. I think that's part of your question. Well, that's the chemistry of Scripture. I think that's the chemistry of life that he's talking about so that we can be warned of the real alternatives. And then my my final note on this would be Matthew helps us with the abstractions of Paul. Paul can be very difficult. Uh, The metaphor applies to the tangible things in life. The metaphor of salt and light, it, it refers to food and shelter. It refers to scarcity thinking. But it's so very big an impact. 
quite surprised. Quite surprising. What have you done to these beans? You serve me beans all the time. You've prepared this meal all the time. But today I have something that is astonishingly different. The ingredients cannot be the same. They cannot be the same. What has happened to this food that has, it seems to me, the same ingredients? And I think Paul is just issuing this reminder that we think about the ingredients of life every day. Are you taking care of each other? Are you loving one another? What is happening to you? I'm warning you about the alternatives, to quote Charles Willard again. That's what I've got, Bill. Thank you, Don. And, and I think this conversation is an example of salt and light. Each of us has some different perspectives, and yet together, uh, I think we, we enhance each other from our different perspectives. Uh, many of you are not watching on Zoom. If you are, you've seen something. When this podcast began, the blinds behind me are open. It was dark and is getting lighter and lighter. Do I have any control over that? Yeah, I could shut the blinds, but I did not create the light. And it just came to me, Sarah, while I was listening to you, so I thought light is a gift uh, and salt is created as a gift. Now, we, we can chemically do things and we can create artificial light. Uh, salt is, of course, uh, intended to be a flavor enhancer and light enables us to see and live effectively. And for one of a better way to put it, each of them, in a sense, is quiet yet effective. You, you spoke about effectiveness, Sarah, um, in, in your earlier comment. Now, I remember as a child in Sunday school, a teacher dealt with this passage by putting a good dose of salt in each of our hands and asking us to ingest it. What was the effect? It was harsh. It, it was unpleasant to take that much salt. Her point was salt is meant to be used sparingly, and yet it affects the whole dish, the bowl of beans on or, or whatever we're eating. And I think that is that, – that message velcroed itself on me. You don't have to be – harsh or loud or or insist on your way to be salt is uh, again to be present and trust that little is much when God is in it Um, and true wisdom comes from observation reflection engagement with the real world and to me uh, what Paul is challenging in First Corinthians, I remind us, in Corinthians, he's writing to a church that is torn apart with sexual immorality, party spirit, I'm, my spiritual leader's better than yours, uh, people showing up drunk at the Lord's table. It, it was a mess, but Paul is saying... Uh, reflecting the wisdom of Christ that to be salt and light is a call to live and reflect individually and collectively in a way that leads to the greater good acting on the better angels that Abraham Lincoln 
invited us to be and to do. Okay, third question. Um, what similarities and differences of tone do you detect in these two passages, and how might that inform and then shape our lives today? This is a kind of question that I like to ask myself whenever I read anything, not just scripture, uh, and to pay attention to the tone. For example, I believe the tone of our conversations is mutually res- respectful. We have different perspectives. Uh, we have different life experiences, and yet there is a, a, a respect. So to me, Paul is addressing a church that is deeply troubled and divided, and yet he, we noted this the first week, he, he reminds them who they are and whose they are, in spite of all the ways they were fragmenting the gospel and their relationships. Paul said, look deep within. Who is the person God called you to be? And Jesus tells us what kind of persons we are to be in the Beatitudes, in um, the call to be salt and light. Um, And again, we live much of the governing that we live with, even in this nation, is the wisdom of the world power, dominance, demeaning conversation, and yet the tone that we are called to is one of mutual respect and support. Charles, your thoughts? Empty. Sorry. Okay. Sarah? So, um, both passages speak to value, the value of witness, the value of authentic voice, the value of courage to speak truth into the power of all things that are lobbying from outside the purposes of God. Paul entreats the Corinthians to live into their God-given strengths and not into their human weaknesses. And he does this in such a beautiful way. Both passages lift up humility. Both passages lift up dignity. Um, Taking very humble elements that are universal and through epiphany reveal, revealing that there's more to each of them. And that I think that one of the challenges that as humans we are struggling with is there are days when we don't feel very valuable. And we tend to fall into our weaknesses on those days. And then there are days when we have a little bit more gumption. Maybe it's the day the vitamins are working. And we might live up to our, our God-given strengths. And, and Paul's pushing us toward looking for those God-given strengths and encouraging us to reach for them. So that's kind of what I see in the tone. Thank you. Well said. Don. I'm not disagreeing. I, 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 I think I'm on the same path, but I think tone does change too. And I think where, in my part, or what I hear from the outside in, from another discussion that we've had recently, 
claims of foolishness of the cross could come in here on the tone. Let, mm-hmm. let me play it out like, well, somebody that hasn't really dug into Corinthians, you know, Paul's got a reputation, right? What's Paul's reputation? Touchy, yelling, scolding, right? I don't believe that's true. Just read the first two chapters of this. You see where he's setting up. But okay, fine. Tone's different. Is the tone of this different than the Beatitudes? Yeah, it's different. Life goes on. And I think where the cross gets attacked for foolishness is, I'll just make it really simple. It's like the tone changes. This goes on. I thought it was finished. Why isn't it settled? Why isn't the tone always the same? Why is Paul scolding them? Because life goes on. You know, and, and in terms of the walk with Christ and the presence of the Spirit, this is a reminder. Life goes on. Was Paul present at the Beatitudes? No. Are the people at the Beatitudes present at the Church of Corinth? No. Was I at the Was I at the Beatitudes? No. Life goes on. Generations change, and now I'm just I'm getting to like Paul a lot more. You know, going life goes on. Remember, remember, remember. The one thing we have in common is remember this. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember, remember, remember. Remember who you are. Remember the saltiness. Remember the taste. Over and over. That's not browbeating. That's preparing. Readiness. So, you know, I think tone is a really great question. And I'm agreeing we have an obligation with our tone. You know, in our walk, to be receptive and to be kind and to be gentle. But the fact is the tone changes because life gets difficult. And we've got this first with the Matthew, this desire and attraction that we do have to the ethic that Christ preaches. We do have an interest in that. It's not like we're looking at it going, well, that doesn't work. We're attracted to that. We've got that. And then generation passes, and here we are at the church. And Paul's not even there, but it's carrying all the way through. So I I think – as all that happens, uh, he's activating what's on the mount. He's applying it to current, but he's reminding everybody we have a responsibility of love to each other. And, you know, that's going to be called foolish because look at our consistency. Eh, we're not doing a very good job. Look at our readiness to help each other. Eh, we're distracted because everything that's about to happen in, in this First Corinthians is, you know, you could you could name a roster of everything they're doing wrong, but it's just really you're not ready. You're not ready. It's not all settled in terms of what we have to do for each other. So that's my take on tone, Bill. Thank you, and I'll hand it back to our quarterback. <laughs> well, uh, well, I really enjoyed this, and you know, our working in First Corinthians is going to continue. So for for those listening. You know, encourage you. It's a short book. Dive in. Link it up with the Matthew. It's it's challenging, but I think that's what the lectionary committee was doing, forcing us to look at the chemistry of all scripture in this way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I have the time, and I hope you are too. Policy uh, of Presbyterian Church makes this podcast possible. They're at thirty five zero one West San Jose Street, that's in Tampa, Florida. And for more information, you can go to palmacia.org. That's P-A-L-M-A-C-E-I-A dot org. We commend that site to you. Great sermons, prayers, reflections, study, differences of opinion, opportunity to take communion. Uh, That's there for you. Check it out. think you'll like that. 
We always like hearing from you as well. Uh, you can reach us at lectionarycallin at palmacia.org, lectionarycallin at palmacia.org. Uh, and you're always welcome, and we'll see you next time.